Uh, good morning, Mac. Yes, you can clap. That's that's so that's such an awesome truth. Uh, we have Joe Trotty with announcements this morning. Okay, good morning. The announcements are the same as last week. <laughs> they are the same as last week. But just a reminder, we have the missions conference coming up, and that is going to be March 30th through April 3rd. On that Friday evening, there's going to be a missions dinner. And it looks like we're going to be playing the game right after the dinner. So that'll be fun. It's the Mission Survival Survivor game. So uh, if you want to sign up for that, sign-up's going to be in the entryway. But uh, that evening when we have the dinner, the main course will be provided, and we would like you to bring a salad or dessert uh, to go along with that meal. On Saturday, April 2nd, the day after that meal, there's going to be a ladies' tea, uh, and that'll be at 1 o'clock. And they'll be hosting the women's tea as part of the missions conference. And also that morning, the men's breakfast will be having a men's breakfast conference, I guess. So we'll be all together that whole weekend. It's a great time. Um, Dates this year for a vacation Bible school have been set June 13th through the 17th. And it's from 5.30 to 8. And they're still looking for a couple of actors. So if you want to be part of that performance... I hear they're looking for some young men uh, to be part of that. So you can talk to Rachel, Rachel, or you can go to their uh, children's ministry at MuncieAlliance.org to sign up for that also. Uh, individuals are needed to run the recording equipment. Adam Riley is in need of a couple, maybe a couple more assistants, uh, so they would only be doing it once every four or five weeks if we have that other help. Uh, in your bulletin today, there are some very important inserts. Uh, the survivor insert and the information about uh, the Alliance Church in the Ivory Coast, and then also our Faith Promise brochure is in there. The Faith Promise brochure is very important. We're going to be doing that again this year. Uh, if you're still catching up from last year, that's okay. We're, we can look forward to those contributions coming in the next few weeks, but we have this coming up again so we can, if you read this, it talks about the importance of the Faith Promise. So thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you, Joe. Um, if you all please stand, we're going to spend some time worshiping our Lord. Um, Father God, it's such an awesome just opportunity to be here with you this morning, God. Um, we want to just celebrate you and praise your name this morning. Uh, you are so worthy. You are so worthy of every single ounce, every single portion of our being, God, that uh, uh, we can praise you with. Um, we thank you for just breaking those chains god that we are not we are not bound in sin god that we can uh, just rest in you god and uh, and uh, celebrate you every day every every moment of our god every moment of of, of our day god um, so we want to spend some time lifting you up this morning god you are so worthy of our praise and uh, we thank you god we thank you for your son jesus christ who died on the cross but more importantly rose again it's in your name i pray amen Your love breaks my fall 
Amen.
you all can have a seat. And uh, we have uh, we have a wonderful surprise for everybody. In case you didn't know, Eldon will be uh, sharing God's word this morning. So. probably wonder why I'm here. I wonder too. <laughs> well, I was asked to serve today, so I agreed to serve today. Uh, did you like the music this morning? It was, wasn't that wonderful? Good music. We thank the musicians who come prepare every week and come and share with us. A couple of things I wanted to share uh, since I'm up front, have your attention. <laughs> Um, I, I just appreciate the church family so much. Amen. It's uh, been a little over a year since uh, my wife departed and went on to be with Jesus. And uh, it's the church family, I think, that helps make things a lot better. And, and a lot of you have expressed your concern and your uh, counsel with me, and I appreciate that. And there's many here who have lost loved ones, and so you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and also my family, my immediate family. My youngest daughter, Denise and Brian and Lauren are here this morning. They came up to see if I could still do it. <laughs> I was going to give Brian a film. I said, did you bring a special number? <laughs> he sings a lot in their local church and gave him a thrill. Of, he didn't prepare. I know he loves to prepare. So anyhow, and the other thing I wanted to say is... Uh, I appreciate so much the Harris family coming. Uh, they've done a wonderful job of coming into a, a church and helping us work through all the things we were working through and provide leadership. And, and it's difficult for a family to do that, and everybody has to adjust. I know the, the children have to adjust just as much as the parents. And so it's a beautiful thing that they could come and, and, and be such willing servants in our midst. So I want to thank all of you. Amen. Well, I think it's probably a good thing to pray before I start. Well, Father, we are here. We are the sheep of your pasture. We, we are a church and we belong to a church, but we first of all belong to you and what you have done. We've sung the songs of praise and adoration this morning of how great you are and how wonderful you have come into each of our lives and caused us to see life differently than we ever would have without you. We pray for those who are sick and struggling this morning, some physical, some spiritual. We know that we all have days that we are not up to what we can be, but we strive to be your servant in your place and in your time. And I know all of us have had meaningful conversations this past week with someone who is struggling with something, faith or physical problems. So let us be those people, Lord, who serve you willingly, uh, in season and out of season, uh, to be there when people call upon us and want to talk and share. 
Thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy that you have granted to each of us. It's an, you're an amazing Father, and you love us greatly. So we thank you for all of those things in Jesus' precious name. Now the things that we say today, Lord, we know that there's, a, there's a, usually a miracle of speaking, and uh, I really count on that, that you will say the things through me that you once said. But more importantly, there's a miracle of hearing. And even though I speak something, sometimes people hear the right thing instead of what I'm saying. And so we just pray for that miracle of hearing today. That whoever came looking for a word and uh, would, would hear that word that they need to hear. And for the little girl over there who kept saying, is it over yet? Uh, no, it's not quite over. <laughs> I kept hearing back of me, is it over yet? Is it over yet? That was cute. <laughs> My granddaughter? No, no. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to come and share, and uh, uh, pastors at a conference, and, and, um, and Grant's with his family today, so we just uh, are grateful that we can be here and be of help. Uh, we're going to be talking about Peter today. Uh, we'll be going to John 21 to look at some of the things that uh, happened to Peter with Jesus. Uh, you know, Peter was quick to act. Uh, John was more quick to discern something and see something than, but Peter was an active guy. He just, he was a natural leader. It's obvious he was the leader when they were fishermen on the lake. He's the guy that led the group. And he may have owned the boat. I don't know what all he did in that setup, but Peter was a powerful, strong leader. And Jesus saw that. And when he came to serve with Jesus, Jesus changed his name. He said, your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter, which is a rock. And truly, Peter was a rock among the disciples. Um, he, he's he's uh, obviously needed to be trained, impulsive, strong-willed. But Jesus was so patient with Peter. And in this uh, chapter today, we'll see how patient Jesus was with Peter. And how he nourished him with the, the, the bread of life. The words that would encourage Peter to become what he became. And uh, uh, I love this story in, that's posted in this chapter. About the, that after the crucifixion, uh, Peter said to the rest of the disciples, Well, I'm going to go fishing. And uh, that's probably the place where he found his identity. That's where he relaxed. Where he sensed, uh, where he met Jesus uh, along the Sea of Galilee, and I've been on that uh, sea. And uh, we, when we were there in back in '95, uh, the minute we got on the boat, a storm blew up, and uh, one of the ladies on the boat said, "Oh no, I was hoping it'd be nice and peaceful today." And I was standing there close by, and I said, "Don't you remember?" What happened on a stormy day way back there? Jesus came walking on the water. <laughs> and maybe we'll see that today. And so she quieted down. <laughs> but it's, it's a beautiful lake. Uh, it's, it's very picturesque. And uh, when we walked onto the pier, there was set a fishing boat. An old wooden fishing boat. Like I've seen many of them through my lifetime. And I thought, gee whiz, that could be one like Peter and his 
fishermen used. It was a beautiful old wooden boat just sitting there, the first one. Then all these modern boats with motors and plastic and made of plastic and so forth. But that one old wooden boat just reminded me so much that Jesus and the disciples could have sat in that boat when they were out on the Sea of Galilee. But as the uh, uh, Peter said, I'm going to go fish. So they went out and got in the boat and that night they caught nothing. <laughs> they caught nothing. You know, it's pretty discouraging to sit there all day in a boat and not catch anything. It's pretty discouraging. But it's very relaxing to be out. You have the advantage of being out where there's no noise and and you can watch what's happening in nature. The birds and everything are flying around you. I used to go with my brother. Oldest brother was quite a fisherman. And uh, as I got older and I was first began pastoring, he took a notion to come and pick me up and take me fishing. So this was back in the uh, early 60s. And he would fish all the lakes around northern Indiana. And we'd never gotten acquainted because he was out of the house before I was born. So I never knew that brother. But I guess he figured that as much about me, and so he figured he'd use the opportunity to do his favorite thing, which was fish, and take me along. So I remember getting acquainted with Everett out in the boat. And, and it was good times. I mean, he talked about a lot of things. He talked about working in Studebaker's. He worked there all of his life. And when Studebaker's moved away, uh, he stayed in his office, and the guys that bought Studebaker building hired him. Uh, to help sell the equipment out because he knew how to turn the stuff on and off. And that's been his job the whole time he was a Studebaker from 18 until he was 64. And, and so we talked about the things in the factory. He talked about working with all those kinds of different kinds of men and how he handled uh, personnel problems when they came to him. And he would he'd be the last guy on the, on the list to handle some guy that had a a problem with the union or problem with uh, his bosses. During World War II, they had a truck line at Studebaker, and they made pickup trucks for the Army. He was in charge of that production line, and if it stopped for 10 minutes, his boss got on him. If it stopped for half an hour, the owner of the factory got on him. And so 24-7 during the war, he had to have something ready to fix whatever broke. So he had a lot of people under his care and jurisdiction so we talked a lot about those people and he talked about the mess the people that messed up and and he said uh, you know when a guy would come in before me the first thing I would ask him is how's your home life <laughs> you having a happy you have a happy family do you have a drinking problem do you have a drug problem and he said almost always he'd give everybody a second chance but he said if you come back again I may not be so lenient so that's kind of the way he handled it. he said I feel I should walk at least a mile in somebody else's moccasins before I pronounce judgment on them. So that was kind of his philosophy. And he had a boat that he towed all over northern Indiana. And I said, uh, we were out on Milford Lake one morning, and I was watching the guy up along the shore, had a beautiful cabin. He was out there working on his yard. I said, Everett, did you ever think of buying a, a, a cabin around the lake because you love to fish so much? And he paused for a minute. He said, see that man up there? And that's the one I was looking at. What's he doing? I said, well, he's weeding his flower bed. He's working in his yard. He said, that's right. I don't want to do that. I got enough of that at home. When I come to the lake, I want to fish. So that's why he never bought a cabin, because he wanted to fish and not take care of a cabin. But I love to talk with him and, and listen to the things that he, he talked about. 
and because I had never known him. And I remember at the funeral, uh, I was standing by the casket, and that's something I did when I was rather young. I agreed to uh, preach my oldest brother's funeral. Man, that was one of the hardest things I ever did. I stood there at the casket and listened to all those men who came through. And they said, are you Everett's brother? Of course, we all look alike. And so, yeah, I'm Everett's brother. Well, I want you to know that he's the first man that I worked for that treated me like a man. And another one came through and he said, you know, when your brother came to work in the factory, they trained him in the factory to be an electrical engineer. And he said the first time he looked at a blueprint, he understood it. Those were things I didn't know about my brother. I had no idea that he, what kind of a, a life he had. He, he was married, but he had no children. And uh, they, uh, so he told, he told everybody that by the time he got out of our house, he'd had enough children. Because <laughs> mom and dad had ten, and the rest of us were right behind him, so there you are. But... The lake is a beautiful place, and Peter could relax when he went back to the fishing and begin to sort things through. But I love this picture. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called to them. In one translation, he says, boys, I like that one. Another one, it says, he said, friends, have you caught any fish? Uh, Of course, I perceived that he knew they hadn't. And then he said to them, well, throw your nets on the other side. Could you imagine fishing all night, catching nothing, and somebody up there saying, just throw your nets on the other. We'd had that net on that side and that side and that side and that side. Tried different spots. We tried all the spots where we ever caught fish. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And this guy up on shore says, throw your net on the other side. I don't know what I would have said. or I know what I would have thought. Uh, but I don't know what I would have said. But they threw the net on the other side. And they drew, pulled in a big catch of fish. And at that point, Peter began to realize something's going on here. And, and the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that would be John. John. John said, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon heard hit say, it is the Lord... He wrapped himself in his outer garment, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water and started making out for shore. Um, that's the impulsive Peter. Um, they, they took off their outer clothing when they fished because they needed to have something to wear when they got done fishing because I imagine they were soaked to the skin, you know, throwing a net in and out, in and out. And he, he took off for shore. And uh, the other disciples followed in the boat towing with them a net full of fish for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards and when they landed they saw a fire with burning coals with fish on it now had Jesus gone fishing before how did Jesus get the fish (laughs) that's the big question I always have when I come to this spot Uh, you ever see an eagle catch a fish on the water they just kind of swoop down and pick it up and fly off with it uh I would guess that when Jesus wanted to fish, he just walked over to the shore, picked one up. That's what I would guess. I don't know. But he had fish on the fire. It was already roasting. But he asked them if they had any fish. And when they saw the 
fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said, bring some of your fish you've caught. Well, this is really the beginning of the ministry of these disciples to catch fish and and, uh, serve with Jesus. But he did it with a simple illustration that, you know, they were all familiar with. They'd all been fishermen all of their lives and now they've become fishers of men. In fact, wasn't that his first invitation? Come with me and I'll make you fishers of men. It probably brought everybody back to that moment that was there when they first met Jesus. I will make you fishers of men. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153. Now, why is that number there? Anybody know why that number is there? I don't either. (laughs) I don't know why that's there. I've heard all kinds of explanations. When we were over in Israel, there was some guy that was at the Sea of Galilee, and he'd studied these scriptures and lots of scriptures for a long, long time, and he had three or four reasons why the number was 153. But I don't know if any of them are factual, but just suppositions as to why there was 153. But it was a bunch. Isn't it important when you catch fish, somebody said, how many did you catch? Don't they always say that? I know I always ask people when they're fishing. Yeah, they caught big ones too. They were this big. (laughs) Uh, But why the 153? It probably has some meaning that we can't discern. but But it's a meaningful thing that there was 153 in a fish with fishermen who had fished all night, caught nothing. It's a significant number. It just, to me, it symbolizes this. When you do things at Jesus' command, it brings good results. Jesus said, cast the net on the other side. How many times have you gotten a nudge to do something and you did it and it turned out well? A lot of times you get an idea and you try it and it doesn't work out well. Probably because you didn't hear it from him. Probably it's just your idea. But when you do what Jesus says, it brings good results. That's the lesson for me. So this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And he just kept interacting with them this way, on and off again. And then here at the end, uh, beginning in verse 15, is where the real lesson is for me today. I mean, there's lessons all through that chapter, but as I looked at it and prayed about it, this is the one that I wanted to lift up to you, and at the end I can tell you why. Let me read this passage of scripture. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you really love me more than these? Now, these what? Well, these things that you're doing now, the fishing, being with these men, do you you love me more than that? And, and, uh, you know, we've all been asked that question, I'm sure, uh, by the Lord. Do you love me enough to do what I ask you to do? He said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Uh, Peter then turned and saw John and uh, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper. It wasn't it cute that John included that in his, in his writing? I'm the one who leaned against Jesus at this last supper. And um, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? He looked at John. He said, what about him? And you know what Jesus said? It's none of your business. When you don't get an answer, you know, you're asking questions all the time. When you don't get an answer, just maybe it's none of your business. Jesus takes care of each one of us in a beautiful and wonderful way. And I know I've asked a lot of questions that I've never gotten an answer for, okay? Why didn't I get an answer? Well, just maybe it was none of my business. But I was curious anyway. I was curious anyway, and he was curious. And Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die, but only that if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? This is a disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. In every one of them, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. <clears throat> now, now, my takeaway for, for this is, is this. If Peter, who saw Jesus in, the, in person, and listened to the words of Jesus as long as he did, and his heart was set on following Jesus. If Peter needed this kind of an admonition at this stage of his spiritual walk, how much more do I need that admonition from Jesus? Any of us who are over 70 need to be admonished to remember, right? In fact, my, my weekly Bible study, I said our reason for gathering is to help us to remember and to finish well. But if we remember the things that Jesus taught us, even as little children, you know. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. All those things that we learned as children on up through teenage and young adult and so forth are so vital to, for us to, to maintain and, and remember and keep them alive in our heart and spirit. And certainly teach our children. We, we need to teach our children. Um, my, my girls call me every day. Well, one of them calls me every day, a couple times a day. And the other one at least texts me every day. And when my wife was alive, and they would call, this was my routine. Uh, it's Denise. Do you want to talk to her? Your mom? <laughs> now I've got to talk. <laughs> I'm using this opportunity to embarrass her a little bit. The questions in the morning. What are you going to do today, Dad? Questions in the evening. What did you do today, Dad? <laughs> so I'm accountable, even yet. 
for everything that I say and do. That's, I think this is Jesus' way of reminding me that it's up to me to finish well. It's up to me to live the life that I have proclaimed, the one that I've taught. And, it, you know, I used to tell Louise before she passed away, I said, please don't go before I do. <laughs> I don't want to be left in my, with my two daughters in charge of my life. <laughs> and now you know why. <laughs> but I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn how to talk to my daughters, you know. And, and it's, it's not easy because, you know, I don't do a lot of the same things they do. And I don't do girl stuff. And I don't do woman stuff. So it's kind of difficult. But it reminds me of why I'm here. Why am I here? I'm here to be a father, a pastor, a friend, a follower of Jesus. And, and whatever he calls us to do, that we need to do. That we need to do. And I'm... Uh, you know, somebody asked me how I'm getting along. You can't walk through my house without seeing Louise's fingerprints. You just can't. Everything, you know, has her fingerprints upon it. And so I'm reminded every day of the, of the wonderful prize I had. And uh, a, a lady we know, maybe some of you know her, Priscilla Engel. She uh, sent me a... a a notification this morning and in honor of my wife Louise oh these things work well when you're not in a hurry there we go all right let me read this to you it's it's a it's a good uh, reminder of the things that God gave you. And all of you have similar experiences, I'm sure. But Priscilla uh, used to sing a lot. She sang with Ray Bolt some. Do anybody remember Priscilla Engel? One or two? Uh, just like always, it disappears. <laughs> Here it is. She said, Louise Morehouse was the best pastor's wife. However, she was much more than that. She was gentle, kind, loving, and giving. She was a true expression of God's love. She and, and Eldon Morehouse were a major influence in our walk with God. Thank you, Louise. You are loved and missed. And that pretty well expresses it. And I wrote, Thank you, Priscilla. I fully agree with your description of Louise. She was by far the best pastor's wife I ever knew. <laughs> but those kind of things kind of help you uh, bridge over and remember in a good way the good things that happened. Uh, and on the way to church this morning, I remember I was with a, a young lady when I was in brother and volunteer service in our church. And uh, I met her through my roommate. Her, her name was McClear. She was a they were all Irish, and I, I really liked the family. I really liked Ronnie. He was he became my brother as we went through all of the BVS training and serving in the projects. And he, he introduced me to his sister, and she was a sweet girl. And so we got kind of, you know, acquainted over time. 
And one time she came out on the project to see us and we were having a volleyball tournament. And as we were having this tournament, she, she came. She, her dad had free pass on the railroad, so she came to, out to Baltimore, Maryland. And we were doing this volleyball tournament, and I was a part of it. So I did play my part on the team and talked to her in between times. But in a little while, we got a letter from her mother that if Eldon didn't care any more than that about Janet, he doesn't deserve her. Over right like that and uh, so uh, that was a kind of a disappointment but then I met Louise at Long Green Valley and her mother said the first time she saw me she knew that I was a part of the answer to her prayer and in her prayer she had seen three people who had come to help their family and I was a blonde headed kid from the farm and I was one of the persons that was in her dream so she kept encouraging us and we weren't interested in each other. She was still in high school. But her mother kept saying, you know, well, they're having graduation tonight. And she doesn't really want to go to any of the parties. Could you take our car and do something with her? Well, okay. I was... <laughs> you, you know, you talk about a conniver, manipulator. And, and so we, we went out together and went to a bowling alley and sat and talked the whole time. We didn't even bowl. We just talked, talked, talked. And when it came time to go to college, I had gotten a call to go into the ministry with them. And I, didn't, my, I kept talking to my sister, what should I do? What should I do? Well, if you're going to be a pastor in the Church of the Brethren, go to the Church of Brethren College. And there was about five of them at that time I could have gone to. But Louise was going to Elizabethtown College, and she had a scholarship to go there to be a medical technician. And uh, so when it came time to go, uh, I hadn't decided where to go to college yet. But a month before college began, um, I called uh, Elizabethtown College and asked them if it would be possible to get in one month before college began. Yeah, you can get in, but I don't know if you can have a place to live. We, all our places are full. In a little while, he called back and he said, by the way, we just got a request from a local pastor he has an empty room his son went to messiah mennonite college so he has an empty room for a year if you want to stay with them you can come so one just about one week before college it was decided i would go to college where louise went and we spent two years just getting acquainted talking and so forth the end of the sophomore year uh, we parted ways i went back to indiana she went to maryland and became a was a uh, to raise some money for college and we gave each other permission. If you want to go with somebody else, we figured we knew somebody back home, feel free. So when we got back to college that fall, uh, I said, uh, how'd it go for you? I wasn't interested in anybody. I said, well, that's my story too. I wasn't interested in anybody. So I guess that's it. We're unofficially engaged at the end of our sophomore year. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't announce it. We didn't give any rings or anything. And then in the spring... Uh, we were to take care of her dad's farm while they went to Florida. Every year they'd go to Florida and take a bunch of fruit and canned canned fruit, canned goods down to her grandfather who lived in St. Petersburg. And then they'd bring a load of Florida fruit back. And they wanted Louise and I to stay at home, take care of the chickens, take care of the cows, take care of everything. And they had her brother-in-law stay there to chaperone us. So we worked that week and toward the end of the week we got a, a uh, 
flyer from a jewelry store in Baltimore. Rings on sale. <laughs> How much are we going to get? Well, we get about 50 bucks for the eggs for the week. That was our income. So we went down there and we bought both rings for $45 in a sale. How many of you have spent that much on your wedding rings? <laughs> Wasn't that exorbitant? I don't know how many times I offered to buy a better ring, a bigger ring, a different ring. No way, no way, no way. And they took it off her finger after she passed away and they could hardly get it off. It was growing fast to her finger practically. She'd replaced the ring once and had the sets put on it. But that was the story of our love life. And that love was so deep. I never wore rings. I had a problem with one when I was a kid, and I just didn't like rings, so I didn't wear rings. And I always said that, no, that girl put a ring around my heart, and I can't get it off. So that, in the same way with Jesus, Jesus put a ring around my heart, and I can't get it off. And I pray he's done that with you. And that he will touch your life in such a way that you will not only have a great life and a great ministry, but you will finish well, and meanwhile, you will touch many other people. Can I pray that way? Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy that you have shown us throughout our lifetime. How you have helped us to understand the ways of life, and you've put people in our lives to guide us and direct us and remind us, uh, even our spouses, to remind us of this is the way we walk, this is what we do. And so, Lord, I thank you for your love and your mercy that I have experienced all of my life. And I thank you for this church family that I've gotten to know. I don't know everybody, but I've known quite a few over the years. And the privilege we have of serving together here to bring glory to your name, to bring people to your kingdom, and to cause the light to shine upon those who are living in darkness. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in you we thank you God for we thank you for raising our lives up from the dead God um, 
we ask that we are given the opportunity to return that love that you've given us uh, this week, God, as we go out and interact with people. Um, God, that we might share share the love that you've so freely given to us um, with with those that know you but are struggling, God, or those that don't know you at all and uh, are just in uh, in despair, God. Um, we love you, God. Be with us this week. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Everybody have a good week.